Hey everyone, welcome to Women's Work, Rising, Leading, and Thriving, produced by the Institute for Women, Wellness, and Work at Ursuline College. I'm Gina Messina, and this is a podcast that empowers women to recognize ourselves as the leaders we've been waiting for. Today, it is my great pleasure to be talking with Kelly Foscato, relationship builder and enterprise account manager for the retail giant, Amazon. Kelly, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview with me today. And it's so wonderful to meet you. I've heard so many amazing things about you and your career. And I am just delighted to have the opportunity to share your story on this podcast. So thank you for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I'm excited as well. So I understand you are the relationship builder and account enterprise manager at Amazon which I think is a fascinating role. When we hear this kind of language relationship builder, we have particular ideas about what that means. And so I wonder if you can share with us exactly what your role entails. Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, throughout my career, I have been in sales. And so the formal title of my career track would be account management. In sales, account management typically focuses on the customers and managing those relationships with your customers making sure that they're happy and that they stay customers so that they renew their relationships or they grow their relationships, so expanding their relationship and that they have a point person. So for my companies that I work with, I am their point person that basically is the advocate for them internally to make sure that we as a business understand their needs and how we are supporting those needs and what they expect from us and that we're delivering the results they expect. Excellent. So I I just have to ask you, when we hear about sales, first of all, sales feels very intimidating to many of us because we think about the need to be very assertive, to really be outgoing, and also that our salaries are dependent on our ability to sell. And at least for me, that feels super scary, right? And we also think of it as being like a very male-dominated kind of field. So I'm wondering if you can talk about what led you into sales and what you really enjoy about it. Of course. Yeah. So I did not have a typical path into sales. I actually think most people don't because up until recently, there haven't been a lot of majors at university that are sales curriculum focused. So you don't see major in sales here, have a minor in sales acumen. So a lot of people find their way there. So I started my career in nonprofit and in donor development. And so what that means is I worked for a nonprofit and it was my job to go out there into the field. So out and to coffee shops and to restaurants and to meet with potential donors and to ask them to give money to the nonprofit. So that sales, even though it's technically not considered sales, I really was in sales for my first job. And what ended up happening is one of the individuals that I had requested to donate said, you're really good at this. Uh, Would you want to interview at my organization? And so through that meeting, I said, okay, I'll go ahead and try because I'm very open to new opportunities. I had an interview. And then that's how I got into my first technically defined sales role. And I think you brought up a lot of good points about how people can be intimidated by it. But really, the number one skill you need to have to be successful in sales is to listen. So, And a lot of women are really great at listening. (laughs) So um, the intimidation or being outgoing, that's not necessarily a requirement. It's being able to listen and respond to 
the conversation and really being a really being able to have a relationship in a conversation and pay attention to what people are saying. That's really, really um, interesting. And I would have never thought of sales in that context until you said that. And of course, that makes sense that you need to listen and know what people want so that you can help them get what they need. Right. And that makes Mm -hmm. so much sense. I think that you know, for a lot of us and especially women, the idea of being really assertive and outgoing and being able to like knock on doors, so to speak, and be like, hi, you should have this product feels very, very intimidating. And I wonder why you think that is. Why do we as women feel really intimidated by this idea of going out there and putting out a product and trying to sell it? So that's a great question. I think um, it's one that's worth unpacking with research as well. But I think if I'm just speaking from my opinion, it can be really scary to put yourself out there and be exposed to rejection. So if your job is having to convince someone to buy something, then you're scared of the no. I don't view my job as having to sell a product. I view my job as I need to find the people that need it. So I need to go out there. It's, it's I don't go and, and talk to every single person and try to sell them something. It's my job to do the research to figure out who are the people that actually need this. And then how can I start a conversation with them so that they know that there is a solution out there to the problem they have and that I can introduce it to them. So I don't ever feel like I am knocking on someone's door that doesn't want to answer because I've done my homework to figure out why they should want to answer. And then hopefully I'm helping them versus taking up their time. That, that is great. Not to keep kind of going after this particular part, but I do a lot of research and reading and focus on issues around confidence and mm-hmm. the idea of imposter syndrome. And I know we always connect imposter syndrome to women. Men have imposter syndrome as well. Um, you know, this idea that we don't belong and somebody's going to discover that we're not supposed to be in this particular position. And I wonder what your thoughts are like. I would think doing confidence building is is probably a really critical piece in developing your skills in a position like yours. And how how would you recommend going about building that confidence? So I have had major bumps in confidence, like increases in confidence throughout my life after major failures, which kind of seems counterintuitive. But I think getting through and surviving a major failure and being like, oh, I'm still here. And I brush myself off and I'm going to go try again. I'm going to go get up and just try again and we'll see how it goes has really helped me each step of the way. And I think if you view falling down or not succeeding at the first try as a bad thing, then I would challenge you to rethink that way of thinking, because you learned a lot along that journey and maybe didn't go the way you wanted, but what can you take to apply to still try to get there? So I would say for myself, I'm very lucky that I will pause after a great failure and evaluate it. What did I do well? What could I have done differently? And then move forward. And I'm proud of myself for taking that time to really think through it. And that pride gives me confidence. Now, it sounds a lot easier said than done, <laughs> and it took years of training. And also, I think I'm, I'm very lucky that I have a great support system. I've had great managers, so my big failures have never been truly falling to the bottom. 
it's been, I've always had a safety net of people and support, including mentors that have helped me brush myself off and, and learn from it. So that actually really made me think about Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly, and the title Daring Greatly and where that comes from, the the Teddy Roosevelt speech on how we need to not fear those who are are judging because they're not actually taking the risk. And those of Mm -hmm. us who get in the ring and try and, and, and get knocked down and get back up are the real champions. And we're all going to do that, right? You have to have failures to have successes. It's how we learn. It's how we grow. And I think that's such an important statement. You said like, you know, you've always had a safety net and have had really wonderful mentors and managers who have supported you. And what have you found most important as the, I guess, the skills and um, the ways that your, your relationships have taken place with your managers? What do you need from those people? What do you need from the managers to really allow you to feel supported and do your job well? So it's a two-way street. So I think it's what I need from them, but also what they need from me and what I bring to the table, to the relationship. Honesty and open communication is the number one. So making sure that you articulate to your manager that how do you like to learn? What do you value? So some people highly, especially early in their career, they highly value money. And they say, especially in sales, I'm just here to hit my quota, to blow it out of the water. I want to make as much money as possible this year. Okay. Articulate that to your manager. Let them know that's what motivates me. Or I'm motivated by affirming like a positive affirmation. So if I do something well, I would want you to acknowledge it. And I want you to acknowledge it in front of the whole team so that me completing this task first out of 10 people, I want you to say like, great job, Kelly, for completing that task first or coming in first place. So one, do that research on yourself and don't be judgmental of yourself, but say like, what motivates me? Then communicate that to your manager and thank them when they reinforce that. So acknowledge them when they behave the way that you let them know motivates you. I think also uh, with your manager, when you're having an off day or when you have a problem, your manager's job isn't to do your job for you. Your manager is there to help you reach your potential in that position. So if there's a challenge that you can't overcome, don't just expect your manager to come in and save the day and do it for you. Enroll your manager to help you solve the problem and articulate to them early on, I'm having a challenge and I would like some support. Can I set up time on your calendar for us to go through this? And be really clear about how you'll use that time. Uh, So I come prepared to every one-on-one and I have, I've done this for 10 plus years with an agenda that I own because it's my one-on-one with my manager. And I say, here are the things I want to cover this week. Uh, Is there anything you want to go over before that? I think a lot of people expect their managers to own the one-on-one, but I own my one-on-one. That is such a great point and a great piece of advice um, in ways that we can take control of a situation. I, I don't know about the word control, but a way to be prepared and also to really let your manager know what you're doing, what you've accomplished, what you've gotten done. I've been reading a book called How Women Rise by Sally Higgelson. And one Ooh. of the- yeah, it's it's a really great book. And one of the things that she talks about is that, you know, one of the things that women need to really grow their skills in is saying, this is what I've done. Here's what I've accomplished. Because we often feel like we don't want to boast about ourselves, but there's ways to go about it without it feeling braggy or whatever it is that we're fearing. Mm-hmm. And this is a great point, a really great way to do this, to show up with an agenda and say, here are the things that I've done this week. Here are the things that I've accomplished. And I really want you to know what I've been working on. And so I think that is a wonderful, wonderful point. You can also say, 
here's what I've accomplished. Here's what I'm planning for next week. Is there anything you would like me to reprioritize? Does my prioritization align with your expectations? That's great. That is great feedback. So I really want to ask you what motivates you. So you said like telling your manager what motivates you, which I think is a big, big thing, by the way. I think in leadership, we often forget that, you know, it's not just about money. I mean, money is important. We all have to pay our bills, Uh right? Of course it is. But no one wants to work for free. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. But there's more to it than that because nobody wants to be at a job where they're making money, but they're not happy. In fact, in the same book, she talks about the fact that women generally choose jobs where they're happier, but make a little bit less because they want to feel happy in their jobs. So identifying what motivates, I think is really critical. So what motivates you? So it's changed throughout my career because my life has changed. In my early career, when I was in my early 20s, money was a big motivator and the ability to make more money. So what I liked about sales and what I like about sales still is that if I overperform, I get overpaid. So I make more money as I perform better, give more results. And I like that. So in the beginning, that was a big motivator, but as well as the idea of having what's called a quota So when you're in sales, you are given a target of this is what we expect you to produce for our business this year. And here is a number that we would like you to hit. And some companies have monthly quotas, but usually there is an annual number. At the end of the year, we would like you to have sold this much. I love having that number because I like being competitive with myself. So I'm I'm not necessarily competitive with others around me. Like if we're running a race, I'm not going to see where you are. I I would definitely want to beat you. But I'm more focused on beating my personal record. So if I can run an eight-minute mile, I want to get down to 7.52. Mind you, I'm not running an eight-minute mile right now. (laughs) (laughs) So that is a big motivator for me is pushing myself and hitting a goal. So I love having clear, concrete goals that I can track my progress towards. Right now, I just had a baby. So a big motivator for me is my manager respecting my time and having those clear goals, but knowing that my way of achieving them might not be that I'm at the office nine to five. It might be that I get up an hour before my baby and work a little bit. And then I bring him to daycare and I have coffee for 30 minutes for myself. And then I work at 7.30 till 8.30. So having the freedom of knowing that I'll accomplish my goals because they're clearly stated, but not having to do it in a, a strict time frame each day. So it changes with my life, but I am very goal oriented. And I think that um, what you're talking about is something that so many women are focused on and needing that flexibility because so many of us are parents, we are mothers, Mm -hmm. and that brings a whole nother level of responsibility and figuring out how to manage your time and hit your goals and be a good parent, right? And so that's really, really important. And I would imagine the field of sales really allows for that flexibility. It does. And I think for me, it's great to have managers and leadership teams that acknowledge that and that view being a mother or or all of those things as a plus because I'm very organized. So I can probably accomplish something in 15 minutes that it might take somebody else 45. So they're not forcing me to sit for 45 minutes and stare at a screen when I'm done it in 15. I get 30 minutes back. (laughs) Right, right. 
Kelly, this has been such a wonderful conversation and so insightful. And again, I'm so grateful that you took the time to talk with me. And I think so many people are really going to benefit from hearing your experience and the wonderful things that you're doing and really, really learn from the key points that you made here. So thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening in today. And to learn more about our guests, visit our website at womenwellnesswork.ursuline.edu. Don't forget to subscribe to Women's Work on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.